Creating and rekindling memories. NHR. Nottingham Hospital Radio is a registered charity. Want to be a part of it? We'll find out how you can help by donating, by sponsoring or even joining us. Just visit nhradio.org.uk. That is, of course, the theme to Doctor Who by Mankind, a big hit in 1978, uh, which just goes to show that even in the 70s, the 60s, the 80s, the 90s, even today, how popular Doctor Who was, or, or still is, and showing how popular it really is today. Uh, there's a big event happening next Sunday, Sunday the 7th of November, uh, a big Doctor Who event. Uh, and one of the people who's been asked to, or uh, who's been asked to go down and, and talk about it is somebody who knows a lot about Doctor Who. Why? Uh, because he played the part of Stephen Taylor uh, in 1965 and 1966 with William Hartnell. Uh, he is, of course, Mr. Peter Purvis. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Morning, Kev. Nice, interesting piece of music there. I don't think it's a patch on the original. Oh, n- not a, not at all, not at all. So it, it hasn't got that menace, has it? No, it hasn't. Definitely no. not. And I must admit, back in the sixties when I was watching Doctor Who, and I love Doctor Who, I was absolutely terrified of some of the things that I was seeing on screen. Um, and it, it's just such a wonderful part of my childhood um, as well, which is, which is why I'm so pleased that uh, you said yes, you'd come on and have a chat about Doctor and of course Blue Peter which we'll get on to a little bit later on Now then, many people uh, have probably forgotten uh, that, that you started out as an actor, which, which is how you got your part of Stephen Taylor in Doctor Who before Blue Peter. So was acting your ambition at school, was that something that you wanted to follow from an early age? Uh, from a very early age, yeah, from the age of nine. Uh, I knew, I've always known I was going to be uh, a performer of some kind. I wanted to be an actor. Um, I didn't want to be a television presenter. Uh, that was never in my thought. Mind, when I was a kid, television didn't exist as far as I was concerned. Uh, the first one I saw was uh, my uncle had a, a very small set that was uh, about the size of a postage stamp, and you watched the picture through a large magnifying uh, device which was in front of it and I watched the boat race on that and I thought mm, I don't think they'll ever catch on to be quite honest <laughs> um, and that was in 1948 I think the first time I saw television and uh, we didn't actually own the television until 1953 and I was at boarding school and we didn't have a television there so television was never really a part of what I wanted to I wanted to act on the stage and uh, living in Blackpool, which is uh, where, I'm, where I'm from, uh, you know, I, I was in touch with every kind of theatre performance because we had, not only do we have a, a very good theatre at the Grand, we also had loads of variety theatres, including the pier shows and uh, the Opera House and the Winter Gardens, and we also had circus. So it was just about every kind of stage show you could expect to see, and that's what hooked me, that's what I wanted to do. Now, you started out acting with the Baron Furness Repertory Company. Uh, acting in rep is notoriously hard work. So how did you find it? Uh, very hard work. Uh, it, was, it was the hardest work I think I've ever done. Uh, it was the worst paid work I've ever done. Uh, and it was probably the most enjoyable work I've ever done. It was uh, the difficulty. I mean, you, 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 it was weekly repertory. At that time... Throughout the country, almost every small town had a theatre. 
if it was a, a really small town, you know, I don't know, 20 to 50,000 people, something like that, then you would have weekly rep. That meant that every week you did a new play. If it was a slightly bigger town, you might have fortnightly rep where you would do a, a different play every two weeks. And some big places like Manchester and Leeds and all the rest, you, you, you'd have a repertory theatre where they work three weekly or even monthly um, before they changed the show. So I was in weekly rep in Barrow in Furness. And that meant that in the two years I was there, I did something like 96 plays. So it was incredibly hard work. You were rehearsing one during the day. You were performing another one in the evening. And uh, you had somehow in between all that to learn the lines of the one that you were rehearsing so that on the Monday night when it opened to a full house, it was always full on a Monday because it was two for the price of one. Uh, so, uh, yes, you, 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 you were just permanently working. It was wonderful. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. But it was incredibly hard. It's a great grounding for anybody who does want to be an actor. But as you say, very hard work for very little pain. You don't go into theatre for the money. Um, I, I suppose the same is, you know, nowadays yeah, as well. Same, same flies now. <laughs> yeah. So Now then, it was William Hartnell, uh, the original Doctor Who, of course, uh, your Doctor Who, who suggested you for the part of Stephen Taylor, uh, didn't it? Well, it's slightly more convoluted than that. Um, I was cast by Richard Martin in the serial called The Chase. It was a six-part serial, uh, which involved the, a chase through time between uh, the Doctor in the TARDIS with his companions and the Daleks in another time machine. And I figured in episode three as an American hillbilly on holiday in New York when the Doctor and his companions arrived at the top of the Empire State Building and I had a scene with them. And when they left, I then had another scene with the Daleks. I'm the only person, I think, to have survived uh, taking the mickey out of the Daleks quite seriously. It was a funny sequence. It was, it was a good fun, thoroughly enjoyed it. I had a wonderful time. Now, in rehearsal, when we started on the Monday, we recorded it on the Friday. So, I mean, it's a very tight schedule. Uh, I rehearsed for the first three days with uh, William Hartnell, Maureen O'Brien, Ian Russell and Jacqueline Hill. I got on incredibly well with them. It had a wonderful time. And Bill was very upset privately. I didn't know this because Jackie and Russ were leaving in three weeks time. I didn't know that either. And uh, they, in fact, they left in the last episode of The Chase, which was episode six. This was episode three that I was involved in. And I played this comic character. Bill was apparently fretting quite a lot. And Maureen O'Brien said to him, you know, Bill, you quite like this young man. How about thinking of him to take over? And so apparently Bill went to uh, Verity Lambert, the then producer, and said, I like this boy. Watch him on rehearsal. And they watched me on the producer's run and they watched me very carefully on the recording. And after it, they invited me over to the pub for a drink where they offered me the part of Stephen Taylor. And three weeks later, in episode six of The Chase, I turned up as Stephen Taylor, looking very different and uh, with a totally different accent. And you know, no one ever seemed to notice. It was great. I'm the only person ever to have appeared in the same serial in two totally different parts. Now then, you mentioned the Daleks, of course, and everybody who loves Doctor Who will know the Daleks. Uh, they used to scare me to death as a kid. I used to watch it from behind the set ears. I'm sure most uh, kids of my age did at that time. Uh, and then I went to see what, one of these sort of big exhibition things or, or um, something where the Daleks were. 
they didn't seem quite as scary then. But then again, that was about 30, 40 years later on. Um, so what was it yeah. like for you working with the Daleks? Oh, they, they were terribly boring to work with because <laughs> the, 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 the tops were off them and the inside were sitting. Uh, we only had four Daleks and there were four uh, chaps who were the regular ones uh, inside this, wheeling them around. They moved them with their feet. They walked, the thing, the, the sort of carcass was on wheels and they had the controls for the, uh, the gun and the plunger. And uh, when we went into the studio, they put a top on and trundled around the studio. They, they weren't very scary in real life. Obviously, they wouldn't be, uh, not to an adult anyway. But I can remember watching the, the first episode that the Daleks ever appeared in. And I thought, wow, that's a really good thing. And when they trailered at the end of, I can't remember what the serial was, but at the end of one serial, they trailed the fact that in the next one, the Daleks were going to be in it again. And the Dalek came up out of the River Thames in the trailer. And I thought that was an incredibly scary moment. But when I actually worked with them, no, I mean, so they, they, it was just, you're working. And, uh, and they're not scary at all. And they don't work very well and they can't go upstairs and all sorts of things that were just daft about the Daleks. But they caught the imagination. And uh, I have to say, you know, full credit to Terry Nation who thought them up and also to the, the wonderful designer who the BBC in its great wisdom paid £100 for that design. That was good, wasn't it? That, 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 that was money well spent, I tell you. Um, oh. so. And yeah, and the magic of TV as well, which, which sort of creates that uh, the menace of the Daleks. Now yes. then, moving on, uh, because we're going to come back to Doctor Who very shortly. Uh, you then went on to present Blue Peter uh, for eleven years. Uh, I, I think the longest running um, presenter, nineteen sixty-seven to nineteen um, nineteen. Was it seventy-eight? Nineteen seventy-eight. Um, what? I mean, you must have so many memories of being on, on that show. What's the first memory that comes to mind uh, with working on Blue Peter? Uh, being absolutely terrified when the opening music started and knowing that I had to go on and do it. I, I was wishing I hadn't signed the contract on the very first episode, which we did at Lime Grove Television Studios. Uh, and uh, it was a, a small studio and I had a very long item to do about uh, space and models on the moon and all sorts of things. And it was very, for me, very complicated at the time. And the hardest thing, and I remember this quite clearly, the hardest thing of all was to stop acting because television presenters aren't actors as a rule. And because when you're acting, you hide behind the character and you develop traits and things that you want to portray and it's all made up and it's false. As a presenter, you've got to tell the truth. You've got to be honest. If you if you're not open and honest yourself, it doesn't it doesn't come across right. And for for quite a while, probably six months, I found it incredibly difficult to relax enough to be myself. Eventually, I managed it. I think they, I, I think uh, Billy Baxter and Edward Barnes, the editor and, and uh, senior producer. Um, between them probably thought it took me at least a year, at least six months longer than I thought it took before I was any good. But in the end, I, I more or less got it. And I, I stayed there for 10 and a half years. I took the job for six months, but uh, it uh, persuaded me to stay. Now, I tell you what, you, you were part of, for me, the dream team uh, of Blue Peter. Uh, well, there what was taste you have, Kev? Sorry? 
I said, what very good taste you have. Oh, well, I, obviously, that, that's why I'm talking to you. Um, so for me, it, it was the best era for Blue Peter. I mean, there was, there was Val, Valerie Singleton, of course, and uh, John Noakes, who unfortunately is no longer with us. Um, and for that, that sort of shaped my childhood um, for me. And yeah, it did for a lot of people. There's a, there's a whole generation. And, and most people aged over 40, I suppose, 45, no who we were as a team, knew who we were as individuals. And, of course, you can't, you can't forget Leslie Judd in all that time because yeah. I worked with Leslie longer than I worked with Valerie. Wow. You, you see how time flies uh, in there. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, nowadays, I'm sort of I'm too old to watch Blue Peter nowadays. <laughs> um, I am an enjoyer. <laughs> but uh, but there you go. That, that that is just me. But one thing I have noticed is that um, programmes like Strictly Come Dancing, they're now turning, over the past few years, they've turned their sights on Blue Peter for presenters to actually take part in Strictly Come Dancing, which is great because it shows off another side of those presenters' talents as well. If you were ever asked, would you go on something like Strictly? No. It, no why, why is that? Why is that? I'm married to a dancer who trained at oh. the Royal Ballet School and she'd be the first to accept the fact that I have two left feet. I have no rhythm in my body at all. I found it ter terribly difficult. In fact, when uh, when Leslie Judd joined the show, her uh, opening introduction to the show was as a dance teacher, teaching me, John and Val, to do a routine. And it's always been a, 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 a source of deep embarrassment to me, my inability to dance. I, I, I can't do it. I, I'm too self-conscious. I, I would not do it, no. You know, that's one good thing that people who know what their limitations are uh, and, and can say no to well, something like that. It's not only that, it's incredibly hard work. Yeah. I think people think, oh, it's, you know, it's, you're going to work for a couple of hours a day learning stuff and then dancing. It is incredibly hard. And it's very, da for, for professional dancers, it is incredibly damaging to their bodies. I know an awful lot of dancers who have terrible knee operations and everything else because their legs and hips really suffer and they have accidents you know my, my wife uh, was was dropped on the base of her spine on, on the coccyx uh, and it's it's caused her problems now as, as she's getting older and it's it's just not it's a very very hard profession to be a dancer it's incredibly difficult i'm very totally full of admiration for people who do and are brave enough to go on the show and show themselves up in some cases and the current lot at the moment, I think they're absolutely. I think it's been a brilliant season. Absolutely. I wasn't expecting to enjoy it. I didn't like the lineup or anything. I'm thoroughly enjoying the current one. I think it's, the the standard is incredibly high. Uh, same, same here. I love Strictly Come Dancing, and it, and it's great to see people who probably aren't in the sort of area of um, or, or the area of uh, the sort of the television that we watch coming into that and and getting to know them and, and getting to see sort of what, what great dancers they are uh, on, on the TV show anyway. Now then, that, let, let's get away from dancing. Let's talk about theatre because I know that you're also very successful as a pantomime director. Uh, again, you must have many memories of working with so many stars over the years in panto. Who straight away comes to mind as being one of your favourites to work with? Uh, there have been several, actually. Uh, I had a, a... I did one... I, my favourite show, I think, was... The only, well, the first pantomime that Hale and Pace ever did. And they did Dick Whittington in Southend. And I was very proud of that one. That was a terrific show. Uh, I loved that. 
Uh, I worked with uh, Cannonball on several occasions, twice very successfully and once not so much. Uh, I worked for five years uh, directing the Christmas pantomime with uh, the Chuckle Brothers, who were always, I mean, hugely successful. And the kids absolutely loved them. Uh, I, I, they, they were genuine talent. And uh, sadly, in, in both of those couples, uh, Cannonball and the Chuckle Brothers, only one member of the team now remains, which is, which is very sad. Uh, but uh, I, I had a good time. Johnny Noakes and I did, I think we did seven pantomimes together where we were top of the bill and we had, you know, the, uh, Johnny would play the idiot and I would play the either the villain or someone like Baron Hardup in Cinderella. Uh, but I, after two of those... Um, after the first two, I started directing them as well. And I directed five that we worked on together. And then I said, I can't do this anymore. It's, it, it's too hard to direct and appear. And I just went, uh, just uh, then went on to only direct. And I directed up and down the country in all the, all the big theatres. Uh, and uh, yes, had a lot of success. I, did, I think I did about 32 pantomimes. I haven't done one for about five years and I don't want to do another. And I think if anybody who goes to your Facebook page will see the amount of work that you have done as a theatre director as well with Panto, uh, I, I was really surprised. That... My, my, my Facebook page is, uh, well, it's not really my Facebook page. It's my uh, uh, website. And uh, it's so out of date. I, I just haven't updated it in the past two years, all the time through the COVID thing. I haven't bothered doing anything to, to add to it. So it's not really up to date at the moment. But yes, they're all on there. And I continue to work a bit, and I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I have no intention of retiring as long as anyone will employ me. That's lovely. Good, good. It's, uh, that's good to hear. And next Sunday, of course, you, you're back um, sort of in the public eye because you've been asked to appear at the BFI event, Doc 2 Galaxy 4 event, uh, which I believe is sold out last time I looked at, uh, at the site. Tell us a little bit about this event because it, there's something very exciting, I think, for Doctor Who fans uh, with, with this new animated... Um, there, there's four 25-minute episodes, I believe. That's right. Uh, Galaxy 4 is the name of the serial. Uh, it's, it had William Hartnell, me and Maureen O'Brien and some creatures called the Chumblies and uh, the Dravins. The Dravins were uh, four absolutely devastatingly beautiful women who uh, uh, terrorised us. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a good piece. Um, I wasn't thrilled with it when we got the first script because it wasn't written for Stephen Taylor. Uh, Stephen Taylor's character had been mapped out for me by Dennis Spooner, the story editor, when I joined the show uh, in the last episode of The Chase. And then we did The Time Meddler, which was uh, a wonderful piece with uh, uh, Peter Butterworth as well. Um, and then came Galaxy 4, and the character of Stephen just didn't appear. The reason for that was that the, the writer, William Emms, had not been told that I was taking over from Jacqueline Hill and William Russell. And the script had been written as a vehicle for Jacqueline Hill. So her lines were just transferred to poor old Stephen. So it was a bit of a weak character for me. I think I, we just about got away with it. But uh, anyway... The whole serial was missing. Nothing existed except the original audio. And the, the original audio with commentary added to by me uh, and a chap called Mark Ayres, who produced it all, uh, came out on the BBC audio collection together with all the other missing episodes of Doctor Who. Um, about 10 years ago, possibly less, I went to the uh, BFI, which is the British Film Institute, in Cardiff to see 
a presentation of one of the episodes of Galaxy 4 that had turned up. It's, I think it's episode three, might be episode two, can't remember. Uh, anyway, that exists. And there's been a lot of controversy about, you know, where are these other episodes? Well, they've disappeared. The, the, the BBC, in its great wisdom, wiped all the original tapes and didn't archive the films, the film canisters that they were transferred into. Uh, so they never kept them. And uh, after they've sold various ones to different parts of the world, none of which paid any royalties, I have to say. Uh, but uh, they were sent to various parts of the world and most of them never came back. And I think currently there are about 97 episodes of Doctor Who which are still missing. Three of the episodes of Galaxy 4 are missing. This animated version, I have seen it, and it really is it's very good. It's a cartoon, basically, but it is something and it uses the original soundtrack. So the, those original soundtracks that Mark Ayres and I worked on are the, the sound that people will hear when they watch all four episodes at the BFI this, uh, it's not this Sunday, it's a week on, uh, a week today uh, at uh, the BFI, which used to be the National Film Theatre on the South Bank in London. And so I'm going along there. Um, there'll be an onstage discussion with the director of the animated version, who's a wonderful guy called Gary Russell, whom I, I know and like, and also with Mark Ayres, who I've mentioned, who oversaw the sound restoration. Uh, and I'm going to be doing a piece on stage as well. Uh, my dog wants to take part as well, as you can hear. And uh, then I've got to, a sign-up session and a question and answer event. So it's, it's going to be a very nice event. I'm thrilled and honoured to have been invited. Uh, I'm the principal guest and that, that really is, is very nice. I've got some of my family coming down to see it as well. So it's going to be a very nice Sunday for me. That's uh, Sunday the 7th. It is sold out, but of course there's always a possibility of returns and I think there's quite a queue for those. So it's, it's obviously caught the imagination of the uh, Doctor Who audience. It's going to be a massive treat for anybody who does love Doctor Who uh, going down and seeing these uh, missing episodes uh, in, in a cartoon form as well. And, of course, to meet you and, uh, you know, to be able to, uh, to ask you some questions as well. So I can see it's going to be very exciting fr from both sides, uh, from your side and from the yeah, people who's down there. I really am, yeah. It, it's going to be a great uh, day, sir. Peter, I'm going to let you go because your dog wants your attention. <laughs> <laughs> As much as what we want your attention. It's, it's not as if he wants to go out. It's lashing down with rain. It's awful. So, is, is your dog like my dog? Because uh, I've got a dog and a cat, and they'll, they'll go out, but if it's raining or it's cold, they'll stand at the door and just look out. They won't go outside. Is that the same with yours? Well, as I've got five, they oh. all do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're not daft, these uh, these animals, oh, are they? They don't like getting their feet wet. Oh, I don't blame them at all, sir. Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you uh, this morning. It's great to have a legend of TV uh, to talk to, and uh, I could talk to you all day, but unfortunately your dog says no. Um, <laughs> so I'll let you uh, get looking after those dogs, and thank you so much for joining us and telling us more about Blue Peter and, of course, Doctor Who as well. Have a great uh, Sunday, Peter. Yeah. Thanks, thanks very much, Kevin, and uh, get well soon to all of uh, the listeners there in the in the hospital. Take care, Peter. Bye bye. Creating and rekindling memories. NHR.